these are changing times and you know we can't just say what people want to hear we have to really think through you know before we say something let's think through all of the aspects of telling people where they can or where they can't work and really you know being very deliberate about how you set up that policy and then you know actually writing a policy around relocation mobility what does that mean and it means a lot of different things to different people Welcome to the Going Global podcast, brought to you by Globalization Partners. Hire anyone, anywhere, quickly and easily. Use our AI-driven, automated, fully compliant global employer of record platform, powered by our in-house worldwide HR experts with 97% customer satisfaction ratings. Globalization Partners, succeed faster. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Going Global, the podcast where leaders in high growth companies tell us their own stories of going global and building global remote teams. I'm your host, Diego Mendiburu, and remember that you can find all episodes of this show on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. On today's show, we're going to interview Jill Nielsen. Jill is Vice President of Global Benefits at Sequoia Consulting Group. Sequoia unifies the benefits, HR, retirement, and insurance services that companies need to better scale and protect their business wherever they operate. Jill leads a dynamic team of global benefits consultants leveraging experts through the Sequoia Global Network in 130 countries. Hello, Jill, and welcome. Hi, Diego. It's a pleasure to meet you, Jill. And I want to start with an extremely basic question. Why do we need a company like Sequoia? And let me know if I'm understanding this correctly, but when I was a little kid, you know, uh, I saw my parents and everyone was working in companies that were pretty much exclusively local. In my case, I lived in Mexico and my parents worked at a Mexican company. And of course, all employees have pretty much the same benefits. But of course, we are now living in a world where companies have offices in Europe, in Asia, in Latin America, and each employee in any of those locations has to have the benefits that the local laws require, right? That's pretty much where you come in. Is that right? Correct. Yes. What's interesting about the topic is that what we've seen happen, especially in the multinational space, and I'll be more specific to the U.S.-based multinationals, is there's been an implosion, very, very predictable over the last 20 years. But we're now at this space where we have employees all over the world. They have different needs. There's you know, different cultures, different time zones. You know, there's just so many different factors that go into managing global benefits. And that's just one piece of HR in general. So where we really specialize is helping our clients identify needs country by country. Generally, they're um, measured against you know, certain industry factors, so they have to be competitive and benchmarked accordingly. But then you know, there's that local cultural piece that you know, we're lucky to have partners in over 132 countries that help us make those adjustments for those markets. And now things are changing again drastically because remote work has pretty much become standard, not only in the U.S., but pretty much everywhere in the world. So specifically about how Sequoia works, tell us a bit how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the way you either provide services or the way those services work, and especially how the interaction with your users and clients has changed in these last few months, or not so many few months, quite a long time now. Yeah. Long enough to have a lot of habits set in. When we first started out last March, luckily enough, our business, my team, was 
pretty flexible. We already work remote because we work around the clock, basically. So it wasn't that much of an adjustment for us. And then I have to say, if there was any goodness that came out of COVID, it's that it happened to all of us at the same time. And so we were all really dealing with how do we transition from, uh, you know, typically, you know, a more traditional workplace to, you know, working from home. And that meant not just our partners in those 132 countries, it meant every insurance company that we partner with in order to solve for those benefits in each one of those countries. We're a very technology-based company, Sequoia is. We flipped the switch overnight, we were all working from home. But, you know, think about these large insurance companies that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. They, you know, probably not as nimble. You know, they're a lot bigger. They're on older platforms. Their technology is probably not as savvy as ours. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I'd have to say that from a client's perspective, we needed to keep pace with our clients. And I quite honestly thought that business was going to slow down. And what I was shocked with was that it sped up. And it's sped up in our sector because over 90% of our clients are tech-based. Mm -hmm. And technology is probably one of the only industries that grew over the last year. They didn't stall. And by growing, that meant they were, they continued to go into new countries and, you know, set up operations on a remote basis. So they'd hire employees knowing that the employees for the foreseeable future were going to be remote. So we never really took a deep breath. We just kept pace with our clients and then, you know, really kind of matching up the service end of it, which, like I explained, some of the insurance companies around the globe were probably not as nimble. And we had to really kind of patch between our clients' needs, which were accelerating, and then, you know, what was happening to everyone around the world, you know, not having the technology in that, in that familiar workplace. You mentioned something about how important and relevant technology is for you and at Sequoia. So explain us a bit why. Why is it necessary to have a technological platform to handle all the employees' benefits and the way the companies communicate to them what is happening in terms, again, of HR and benefits, everything. That's a great question because there's a lot of different answers to that. What we do for our clients is we help them communicate those benefits country by country through those local partners. And often it's done at the local level. And, you know, that can be used through our partners' local technology. You know, in some countries, it's still done the old-fashioned way. So we really need to, meaning paper and wet signatures. And this is all changing. This last year has accelerated this conversation around, we need to harmonize administration and make it easier for a, one of our global clients to get their employees enrolled in benefits. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of a broad range question, um, but, you know, I would say that the technology aspect for us is if we're working with a client in 20, 30 countries, and within each country, they might have a couple of different work groups or levels of benefits. And then they have a number of different insurance contracts. So the multiplier here is dramatic. And what we do is we use technology in the background to basically keep track of this. We have everything, country by country, plan by plan, work group by work group. 
And then what we're essentially doing is building this global understanding of what we have, you know, with, you know, some simple reporting features, because what ends up happening with this tool is it's built for our client. It, it helps us do our jobs, but our client can get into this system and they can view the same exact thing that we use to help them coordinate across all their countries. Let's talk about the big change that remote work is. Do you really feel that remote work, and especially not only what you think personally, but do you have like insights or data or things that you can share with us that make us certain about how remote work can really inaugurate an era where employee location is no longer relevant for companies, where they can really start hiring people no matter where they are? So I think in theory, we have many clients, you know, once again, the tech sector is really leading the charge on this, I think, publicly said to their employees sometime last year that we may never have a formal office again or the formal office will look and feel a lot different. And, you know, we've all read articles about that. And then, you know, they kind of opened up the barn door and said, either directly or indirectly, you can work from anywhere you want. And, you know, what nobody was really thinking about is all the administrative detail that goes behind that second statement. And so the barn door opened, everybody, you know, they either went to a different state or they went to a different country. And then, you know, we were left a good part of last year trying to figure out what to do with that. You know, and so it's like, if you roll it back to what would have been good practice, before opening up this discussion would have been to create a global relocation policy. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you know that could mean state to state, country to country. Many of our clients, they had maybe the underpinnings of this, but I think they really fine-tuned it toward the end of last year when they found out their employees weren't at home anymore. Yeah, I definitely want to ask you about these essential topics and things that global relocation policy should have. But before you answer me that, I think there's also a difference. You know, you can have employees that suddenly, because of the pandemic and the restrictions and remote work, decided to move to another town, another city. So that's one thing. But people out there are also saying that we might see a new generation of digital nomads, people that are constantly on the move that maybe one week are working on a beach and then they are going to the forest and then are going to their parents' house and then returning back home and then moving to another country. So those are two different things now. Which one, do you think both will happen at the same time? Or maybe the, the digital nomads one is a bit too extreme? Well, I think the digital nomads is like a hype dream for most of us. Everybody loves that idea, you know, especially if you're an explorer. What I was speaking about earlier is kind of the situation that we're in now, the types of products and tools and administrative solutions that we have to address some mobility today. The other end of the spectrum, the digital nomads, I can go anywhere. And well, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure and, you know, quite frankly, products that need to be built to make sure those employees are, number one, legal to work in that country. You know, there's a lot of, we even even talked about regulatory issues, right to work, work permits, you know, all those things that in order for you to work in most countries, you need permission to be there and work. And there's the tax issue. That part of the conversation, which is quite frankly, when you talk about that to a digital nomad, that's just like not where they want to go. That, you know, somebody else needs to figure that out. But fundamentally, that's kind of the legality 
of where we have to start. And then on top of that, you know, making sure that companies, employees are, they have the proper insurance and that's as mobile as they are. And, you know, right now, say I'm 90% certain unless somebody's on an expat plan that they don't have the right kind of insurance to do that type of freedom or flexibility to move around. So it is a moment now for you to tell us about the essential topics or things that a global relocation policy should have. And I guess that the tricky part here is that, again, that policy should consider several scenarios, right? Several possibilities of how uh, workers and employees move and where they live and et cetera, right? That's the challenge. Well, let me give you an example first, and then I'll yeah. answer kind of the technical part of your question. Mm -hmm. So here's an example, and this is over the past year, we work with a client who has employees all over. They're one of the companies that, you know, told their employees first, you know, kind of the knee-jerk reaction was, yeah, yeah, you can work anywhere. And then it's like, uh-oh, you know, we have a lot of issues here, like we just spoke about. And so what they did was they started to put more structure around it. And I really like this idea because we, we have to deal with what we have today in order to, you know, meet all of these requirements in order to let somebody work outside of their home country, for instance. And so this client in particular said, look, you know, we've got entities in 20 countries. If you, you employee want to move to one of those countries and localize there, we will allow that. It's at your cost. You, you, you know, you pay to move, you, you know, will be required to um, participate in, you know, the local work requirements, work permits, and so on. And you will be localized. You'll be localized into local benefit and a local payroll. So your, your pay could change depending on where you work. They said that would be an option where we have an entity. If we don't have an entity, then, you know, basically you're on your own to figure this out. So, you know, you would not have the support of the local entity to help you get the proper work permits and that type of thing. So there'd be more of an investment for somebody going to a country where there was not an entity. So that was one way, and that's probably a start to this conversation. I'm sure that conversation will mature as the market, you know, all of these things that we need to be concerned about matures. What you're saying is if companies, again, drink the Kool-Aid of, yeah, remote work is fantastic. Everyone can work anywhere and digital nomads are the standard now. And you immediately say to your employees, yeah, you can start thinking about working anywhere in the world. That would be risky, right? Because it doesn't apply to every job within a company. Some people would be okay working like that. You know, maybe, you know, a good majority of them wouldn't. They, you know, mm -hmm. they might need to have them, you know, attached to an office or at headquarters or depends on, I think it's role dependent somewhat. And I, I think this is an evolving conversation and, you know, we're going to do nothing but go forward because we've had a year to get used to this. Yeah. I don't think this is going to roll back to the good old days where cubicles, you know, sitting six feet from each other. That's going to change. And part of the way that you attract and retain talent in today's market is you need to kind of develop some of these future thinking objectives, things that people want. So potentially, any company can say now, you know, let's get the most talented person, no matter where she or he is, right? I mean, location is no longer an issue. Uh, it's the same if she or he lives in Europe or Asia, they can do it. 
So how relevant or even you know, crucial are employees' benefits to beat the competitors in that fight for the best talent? What I'm trying to say is maybe now companies have to be really serious you know, about employee benefits because that's a deciding factor for an employee to decide you know, whether they go and work for that company or wait for another one, right? And that's a very interesting question. And the blanket statement is kind of interesting. So I think for certain jobs, you go where the talent is. So when I'm hiring a global consultant, I need somebody mm-hmm. to know global consulting. I don't really care where they sit, but I need to hire a consultant who specializes in a certain region. That consultant needs to sit in that region. They need to be connected. They need to, you know, have their partners in that region that, you know, help us do business. So I think certain jobs will have that flexibility, you know, creative types, Um, you know, especially in the tech sector, there will be a good amount of that. And then there's always going to be, for whatever reason, people who need to be attached to an office or specialize in a region. There, I think there's going to be a lot of variability. And I don't think that you could make a mass or an overall statement to all of your employees. You can work wherever you want. We're going to find the talent wherever we need it because some of it is regional. And when I talk about this with other guests of the podcast, one thing has been repeated several times and it is, you know, what do we do with people that are fresh from college and have no work experience? That need of being in the same space with veterans, with experts that they can shadow, they can learn from is essential, right? So many companies, yeah, as you said, it's not a blanket statement, you know, like saying, yeah, everyone works remotely. Maybe you have to have a policy of which positions are better suited for that. And maybe there are some uh, workers that will need to be, you know, centralized in a central office, right, in order to learn and develop themselves in a better way. I think that's interesting. And I think in general, it's correct. But, you know, a challenge in that the last year, and, you know, I'll use our situation, I did hire someone like that. Mm. And, you know, very young, not too much experience, had some skill sets that were like, oh, this is great. That comes right fresh out of school. That's that's exactly what we wanted. And what it meant was we needed to have like a different mentoring system in our remote workforce to do that. It presents um, new challenges for managers, but I think it's very doable. And I think that somebody like I just described is going to feel super comfortable learning in that environment. And this particular person was feeling like they weren't getting to know anybody in the company. And they were asking, well, how do I do that? So what we did was we engaged him in one of our working groups, um, you know, on a special project. And that's where he got to know people outside of our business. I think you have to dedicate yourself to coaching and mentoring somebody much differently And I think they can come along just fine, but it's much different than having them sit next to you day in and day out, watch, just watch me and do what I do, you know, because they're not seeing me. No, I agree. So we've talked about the global relocation policy that some companies have to develop. And we've also talked about the benefits that employees are now seeking. So do you think like big companies, you know, I'm thinking the Googles, the Facebooks, multinational companies with presence all over the world will start considering, you know, sponsoring an employee's request to work in another country 
other than their home country, you know, like, could that be a new perk or benefit that some employees might seek, you know, that my company pays, does the research and allows me and gives me all the necessary leverage and help so I can relocate? Is that a new benefit that could somehow arise now? Well, I think that sounds like it would resonate. And I've seen some of our clients do stuff like that for certain employees. So for instance, they have an employee that has a special skill set and this person wants to relocate to Australia because that's where her husband found work. Hmm. They don't have an entity there. This employee was really important to the organization. And they, you know, basically set up PEO for this one person so that they could do that. So that's that's the right way to do it. You know, yeah. if you were going to let somebody work out of the country and you wanted to set it up and have it be appropriate and, you know, meeting all the, the requirements. But I think you're talking about it on a much broader scale. It's almost like a benefit. And I think it's an interesting proposition. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier. You know, how do you tell all of your employees about this fabulous benefit and then say to half of them, but it's not for you because we need you at headquarters. And, you know, tech companies do not like to have special benefits for anybody. You just touched the point that I had worked as a question because, I, I mean, that is probably an extreme example. You're right. But in the end, that is already happening, right? I mean, you have employees working in different countries that have each of those countries have their particular laws and regulations. Thus, you have a workforce that does have different benefits according to the territory where they are, right? So how can companies correctly communicate that some employees may receive certain benefits that might be very different for those other benefits that employees maybe at the own company's headquarters have? You know, I'm speaking strictly, you know, for the tech sector and probably, I don't know about other sectors really, but for the tech sector, in general, they don't like telling their employees that, that there's differentiation, I, there could be, you know, country by country, that type of thing. But in general, that's not a message they like to give. One way you could do it is you might be able to, you know, for instance, set up a different group of workers that are remote. Then you have to build the infrastructure in order for them to work remotely, wherever that might be. And, you know, we don't need to say that it's on the Riviera. We just need to have it be isolated group that might even work better remotely. Yeah. You know, there's a business reason for it. And then that might be acceptable to the broader population. Yeah, yeah, it's, totally. a, it's a tough one because it's so attractive to think, well, I could be a digital nomad. I could work anywhere. And, and then you want to try and get your employer to pay for your travel. And you can, can just see where this is going. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, we have jobs to do. Totally. And I think employers are, especially in the tech sector, are going to be looking at this as a way to attract that talent that's so hard to attract and retain. Always, you know, constantly looking for the latest thing to add to the benefits program to get them to come to work for us. And this is a big deal. So, you know, I, I think it has momentum. And I think there's a lot of infrastructure that still needs to be built underneath it. So just to finish on the topic of benefits, there's one thing that we haven't talked about. And as you just said, is one of those things that probably are just becoming more expected from companies to offer. And it's all related to mental health and things that 
can really make employees feel better and be more productive in these difficult times of full of uncertainty and remote work and probably a bit more isolation. So can you tell us how much benefit packages have adapted to this new trend of trying to offer more mental health benefits to the employees? So that's it's actually a great question. And one of the fundamentals of global programs, you know, starts with global EAP. And I'm just kind of using that term loosely here because that can mean a lot of different things depending on the vendor. There are a number of different ways to offer that service to almost every employee in your organization through various vendors. So fundamentally, you know, most of our clients, many of our clients, had this in place before COVID started. If they didn't have it, I'd say somewhere around April, they were all panicking, hitting the panic button because, well, employees didn't even know they needed it yet. Employers knew that they better have something in place when and if this continued much longer than any of us thought. And so a good number of our clients I mean, a good number of them put in EAPs mid-year last year, and the funnel was full. I mean, you had to wait in line. So it was, you know, it's not something that you want to wait until you need it. It's what I would call a hygiene factor. You should always have this as part of your plan, your program. And, you know, from a cost perspective, there's almost no reason why you shouldn't do this. These aren't expensive programs in kind of the big picture. So now what we're seeing is that the vendor marketplace is changing. You know, there's a lot of the old, more like traditional EAPs, which, you know, are excellent. And, you know, now we're going to much more of a kind of an app-based outreach. That's a changing market. I think that the question I have is there is a lot of demand now for mental health services across a broad spectrum you know, something where it could be dealt with in three visits over the internet or something that might take long-term therapy. There's a big demand for it now. The longer this goes on, the bigger it gets. And I think access is now becoming the question, the access to providers. And providers are living through this situation too. can only do so much when you know, everybody's in the same situation and everybody is seeking that support, not everybody, but a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the, the market is flooded with options. Employees are now at that pinnacle of needing help. One of my final questions would be in this era of having to use technology all day long, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of mental health issues we are all going through. How can companies make each employee really feel careful no matter where that person is? So is the question... Do I feel like my employer cares about me? Yeah. Is that the question? Yes. How do you make an employee feel that, that the mm -hmm. company really cares about mm -hmm. him or her? Mm -hmm. I'm really thinking that, you know, there's a message from the top down. That's where the company's point of view has to start. And that has to come out of the top person's mouth. But what's more important is how that filters throughout the organization down to you know, your direct manager's level. Because it's the direct manager that makes you feel like you're important, yeah. that they care about you. So it's somebody, not some figurehead up at the top that's saying the right thing, you know, a mm -hmm. very important point of view. 
but that person that you speak to on a regular basis. And I think it really, in our particular situation, what I've seen is that, especially this past year, the person who has the most contact with an employee, so the direct manager, is really the one that is you know, responsible for carrying that message through, acting on the message, acting on the message, not just repeating it, but actually expounding on it and almost making it more available to that individual. I don't know if that's making a lot of sense, but I think it's more person to person rather than you know, the company has a certain point of view and they have to support it through good benefits, hmm. you know, all the things that a good company does. But the person to person contact is where I think people feel like they're cared for. Somebody cares about them. So just to end this conversation, of course, we've been talking about very interesting and essential topics for any company. So if there are people out there, you know, startups or companies that are planning their international expansion or that also are facing this challenge of remote work and people wanting to work anywhere in the world, how can they get help from you, from Sequoia? Maybe they can also reach your website and read in your blog about these different ideas of what to do if, you know, an employee wants to relocate from state to state in the U.S. or from the U.S. to another country. Tell us a bit of, uh, more about where can people reach you and know more about Sequoia. Pretty easy to reach um, through Sequoia.com. And of course, anybody who wants can reach out to me personally, and I will make sure that they work with one of our global coordinators. You know, I think the thing that I would want to leave you with and yeah. our audience is these are changing times. And, you know, we can't just say what people want to hear. We have to really think through, before we say something, let's think through all of the aspects of telling people where they can or where they can't work and really being very deliberate about how you set up that policy and then, you know, actually writing a policy around relocation, mobility. What does that mean? It means a lot of different things to different people. You know, is it company directed or is it self-directed? You know, all these questions that you need to answer first before you speak almost instead of having to back into something that you said and like kind of fix it on the back end there's some simple things that you can do on the front end to put together a very thoughtful policy that would be a good start and then that's going to modify and change as the market changes to adapt to that you know that extreme digital nomad that's that's at the way end of the spectrum but the market's going to have to adapt to that somehow some way and it will thank you very much for your time we have a really interesting conversation and that's it this is the end of our show i hope you enjoyed today's episode remember that you can find all past episodes on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you're planning to hire a new global team member, remember that Globalization Partners makes it easy to onboard international talent in a matter of days. Go to globalization-partners.com to get started. This is Going Global. Presented by Globalization Partners.